Today, me and Tio are doing a new sort of segment called uh, Book Club, right? Yeah, X-Hour Book Club. So, Hopefully, yeah, we can so get for- open a book here and then. But. Yeah, yeah. So, first <laughs> of all, uh, this is a WVU Reads segment. We have a assignment from the Honors College to read a book this summer. And today we're just going to discuss it. It's called Interior Chinatown. So, Tiu, why don't you give us a little, a little uh, elevator pitch on this book? Okay, yeah. So, I've tried explaining this book to two separate people, and it is just a hard book to pin down. And the best way I can characterize it is... Um, it's written in the formatting of a screenplay, right? It follows a character named Willis Wu, and everything is written from his perspective. And in the, the setting kind of melds um, like a procedural cop show mm-hmm. with that of just a contrast of uh, this very impoverished place and uh, Willis Wu, an Asian man, trying to like navigate that society, which mm-hmm. a lot of the times reflects our own, you know? Yeah. It, it's honestly one of the most unique books I think I've read. I think so. Just the formatting mm-hmm. and uh, the formatting and everything. And we'll get to our general thoughts here in a second. But I thought there were points of it where I'm like, wow, like... I was on my Kindle and I was highlighting um, yeah. bits of it, and and I'm like, this is like the 27th highlight I have this chapter, <laughs> and there are only like seven acts in this. Mm-hmm. So some of them very... got pretty long though. Yeah, yeah. So you want to give your uh, general thoughts on uh, this book? Yeah, I honestly thought it was really good. You know, it was pretty. It was kind of like a roller coaster. You know what I mean? So, I agree. I agree. I'd say it starts out pretty pretty mellow. This guy's trying to work his way up through the industry. And then he's, he sort of reaches a breaking point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So do we want to discuss this is spoilers? Non-spoiler section. Yeah. This is our non-spoiler section, so we don't want to give too much away. So he, he reaches a breaking point. And that's when he decides to sort sort of turn his life around, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's written in like such so well that like he gets his point across, and he like the reader experiences what the writer wants us to experience. Like we feel what the main character feels. Oh, exactly. A unique thing about this book, it's. Kind of like never once does he say like I turn to um, I turn to my mother and I say it's you turn to your mother you feel this you feel that mm-hmm. and yeah that really 
I mean, if you want to talk about like an empathetic character, you're literally in his shoes. It's second person. He's putting you in that situation. Yeah, I think that's a lot because of how like that screenplay like format. Like it's almost as if we're given the script of Willis Wu and we're put in his shoes. That's a that's a fantastic point there. Yeah, and I just want to say he communicates on the author. I think his name is Charles Yu, if I'm correct. I think so. And this will be a tiny bit of a spoiler here, but it's not like too, too important to the book. I really appreciated how he was able to get um, very serious, complex themes. Like it covers like, you know, poverty, Mm -hmm. race, death, old age. And it it mixes it with this humor. And never once does it feel like oil and water, like one sitting on top of it than a, another. It's base. It's yeah. integrated. And he lets like the funny moments be funny, the sad moments mm-hmm. be sad. And one of the one of the more um, uh, unique moments that stood out to me was when and this is a light spoiler so if you don't want to know anything about the book just skip past this portion i'll have a time stamp (laughs) but um so around what page 62 in the book um old man Mm -hmm. long he was waiting a man who lives above uh, willis Wu in this apartment complex right yeah he is taking a shower and Willis Wu goes on to describe, like, oh, old man Fong, like, falls asleep in the shower all the time. And I know that because I start seeing, like, little water spots on my ceiling. Yeah. And uh, he describes it, quote, it's raining inside your bedroom. You hope old Fong is enjoying his nap. And when you turn to the next page... He goes, and this is an expletive, he goes, Crap, you were wrong. Old Fong didn't fall asleep in the shower. He died there. And, mm-hmm. end quote. and it starts talking about like how he was waiting for a phone call from his son. Because yeah. his, he didn't know where his son was, and his son took an extra shift somewhere. And it just turned into this like very like melancholic thing without being too depressing it got the point across without kind of hitting you over the head with it you know mm-hmm. yeah exactly so let's move on to like sort of some of the characters right yeah so you have willis Wu, obviously main character of the book everything revolves around him and mm-hmm. uh he's sort of stuck right yeah like, he's he's stuck in this constant cycle within the acting world where he he starts moving up in his career he moves up he moves up and then he's just killed off and yeah that's happened constantly before with like many other asian actors before him Mm -hmm. and then i sort of like how they develop him you know what i mean would you say he's your favorite character in the book I, I'd say so. I mean, he's the, he's the main character, so it sort of sounds like, oh, 
you know, he's saying <laughs> the main character is the favorite just because he's the main character. But like, yeah. the way he's developed, just it really gets the point across of how like mm-hmm. we're he's stuck in this system, and he gets to a point where he's done with this the endless cycle, and he wants to break out and make a name for himself. Yeah, I agree. They do develop him very well throughout. Well, he develops himself very well throughout the book. And uh, a lot of the time, like, he doesn't do it alone. There are external factors causing this um, Mm -hmm. transformation for him. But, um, no, I think the character of Willis Wu, because you're seeing this story through his eyes, and the setting, while unique in of itself, he adds like this little bit of humor to it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, what other characters did you think stood out? I would say, um, probably my favorite like character or like uh, arc to follow throughout the whole book was the character of the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really like how meta this book is because it'll like introduce each of the characters at the beginning, and it will go like, and it's a, and it's like the old Asian man, aka your father, has also played the role of like Sifu. Yeah, like, it gives all the roles of like each person. Yeah, that was really good, and um, it was kind of heartbreaking. To kind of see because it describes him like you know falling into old age and all these things. There's a quote in the book. It says, uh, "Sifu, who taught and valued order and simplicity in all things, to have allowed his dwelling to reach this state of disorganization should have been a warning sign to all." And uh, I have a, another highlight in here. I can get to that. And there's this um, point in the book to where he, like, is describing, like, he can't, like, do these things anymore. He keeps apologizing for, like, simple, mm-hmm. like, acts of help. And it says he yeah. is, and it says he'd always be your father, but somehow was no longer your dad. And... I thought that was a very powerful quote, and it like I attribute that to like you know Willis Wu. He's the mm-hmm. character who, of course, is saying that. But I thought they really hit the nail on the head there, like characterizing that. So if uh, any of you at home are going to be reading through this book, the the dad has a pretty like unique arc throughout the book, even though he's like in in the beginning, but he kind of is hard to find later on but um and so that's something else i wanted to transition into um the themes of the book i had mentioned before they are very complex they deal with race yeah um societal structures um but what would you say um best characterizes the theme of this book nesser uh, I'd honestly say it's like breaking out of the system, you know, being being unique and not like following what people want you to follow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And 
Um, I had written down here just simply roles. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just like playing your role. And it says in here, staying in character avoided all of that. Allowed you to prolong your respective roles for just a bit longer. So these things you do to be accepted by, like, you know, the system, society. I honestly kind of... Go ahead. I think that's another reason why the screenplay format's so good. Because when we think of movies, we think of, you know, actors playing roles. Uh You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, they're stuck in this role that they can't get out of. Exactly, and they're able to like play off of those archetypes because I don't know about you, but I thought it was hilarious throughout the book when um, what is it? Uh, Miles Turner and what was her name? Karen Green. They played uh, a I don't black think it and was white. Karen. No, it wasn't. It Karen. was. Uh, it was something we'll green. Back. We'll get back to her, but um, they played the cop leads in like a buddy cop show black and white and uh, they had this um it it was like pretty tongue-in-cheek but it was like this sexual tension between them yeah is basically a trope of like you know almost every like cop show like Mm x-files bones yeah of that i thought that was so funny Mm -hmm. and it sort of reminded me at points of a, a truman show it's like being oh, on yeah. the other side of the Truman Show, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. It's like, what if, like, it's like, you know, there's Truman, but, like, what if you were raised up in this, too, and, like, you had to play the role of the best friend? You had to play, like, yeah. um, the restaurant owner. What happens when you deviate from that? I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty interesting way to look at the book. Yeah, so I think this non-spoiler section uh, went pretty well. We touched on a lot of good things here. So yeah. I think it's time we we move on to the prompts that WVU sent us to discuss. Oh, yeah, yeah. So everybody that's listened up until this point and doesn't want to hear any spoilers, uh, it's a really good book. Hopefully you read it. So let's move on to prompt one, huh? You want me to read like word for word, like what prompt one was? Up to you. I I think so. All right. All right. And you can pull it up too. So you can read the second prompt. All right. So here's prompt one on pages 53 to 56. You read a flashback scene. Ma and Kung Fu kid spend an evening at home. Ma is reading. Kung Fu Kid is perfecting his Kung Fu skills. As he kicks, his foot catches the pot of tea and Ma reaches for it before it scalds him, burning her arms instead. Kung Fu Kid apologizes and Ma asks him to promise her something. Don't grow up to be Kung Fu Guy, she says. Be more. Kung Fu Kid struggles to imagine what she could possibly mean. Kung Fu Guy is the pinnacle how could anyone be more? The question it states is, what do you think she means by her request to Kung Fu Kid? How do you make sense of her statement? Use the themes in the book to support your response. So, yeah. Um, 
don't be kung fu guy, right? So I have a couple quotes that I wrote down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, first one I have is kung fu guy is just another form of generic Asian man. Yeah, right? that's the uh, trial at the end, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just him saying, you know, kung fu guy isn't the pinnacle. It's uh-huh. what it's what the acting world wants Asians to think is the pinnacle of their careers. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like if you're but in, a in block, the end, Kung Fu guys are really fancy box, you know? Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's just, you know, they're, they're generic Asian man again. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I I think um, this entire idea of like kung fu guy because uh, in that uh, fifty pages fifty three through fifty six he describes like wanting to be Bruce Lee, right? Mm-hmm. And like everyone aspires to be Bruce Lee. It's like how could anyone not want to be Bruce Lee? Yeah. And that was something oh, yeah. really relatable to me as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. I saw it like you know my dad as a surgeon. I saw like Sidney Crosby as like yeah. a, almost like sort of god type figure in my life, and I was like, how could you not just want to aim single mindedly at being that you know? And for some people mm-hmm. that works, and uh, but we see later on it's like even when you do get to that point and the puzzle pieces of like you know that role and you as a human person when those pieces don't really fit together we see how those can have like consequences you know yeah and i actually have a little bit more to add on to that quote so yeah, yeah. while he's saying this mono- monologue it's almost like he's becoming the main character because uh during it there's another quote that says the lights go down except for the one on you right yeah yeah so yeah. So like he's breaking out of the of this role he's playing and finally he's the main character of his story of his of his uh monologue I guess That's a good point I would have never framed it that way but Yeah so um, yeah Yeah so um I think we nailed down like pretty much like what does she mean by like be more. Yeah. And another thing I have here, and this is sort of paraphrasing uh, the last paragraph on page 251. uh, He sort of says he's role playing into a system that doesn't allow him to make a name for himself. Yeah. So he really, I think he pretty much can sum up the whole book in that sentence. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Um, again, the the system is going to come up a little bit more later on in prompt two a lot. Mm-hmm. And the same idea of roles, but I think it's a very it's a very interesting idea that um, Charles Yu like poses uh, throughout this book. Yeah. So let's move on to prompt two. Yeah, uh, I'll read it here. In Act 3, Wu shares a story about slowly climbing the ladder from generic Asian man number 3 to generic Asian man number 1 
in a scene he describes as a cop show. Wu describes how close he is, close enough to imagine a different life. Now that he is, he has a speaking role in the in the American show Black and White, no part for Yellow. The characters Turner Green and Generic Asian Man Number One are at a restaurant to question old Asian man when the conversation takes a turn. On page 94, Green calls Generic Asian Man an Asian guy. When Generic Asian Man confronts Green and Turner about it, Turner reminds Generic Asian Man that he did it to himself. On page 95, Turner adds, Working your way up the system doesn't mean you beat the system. It strengthens it. It's what the system depends on. So what do you make of Turner's remarks and explain your process through Explain your thought process using other examples from the reading. Okay, did you want to answer first, or I have something cute? No, you, you. Oh, all right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Turner, the black detective. Uh, after uh, the Willis Wu says, "You're a part of the system too. Your face is on the poster. Your name is in the title." Uh, Turner goes, "I am." It says Miles Turner. No, it doesn't. It says black. I'm not a person. Mm -hmm. I'm a category. Giving me the lead doesn't make me any more of a person. If anything, less. It locks me in. Do you know where I started? Do you know what it took? You can't come in here five minutes ago talking about how hard you have it. And uh, that really just... Um, and later on we see... Um, I like multiple characters start to come out of like that box too. So it doesn't, mm -hmm. it shows like even like the people that have it good in this like um, little system that they have set up and it kind of foreshadows like him finally becoming Kung Fu guy, right? Yeah. Like even when he has it, he's not going to be fulfilled. He's not going to be happy. Um, and this idea of being, locked into that role and um there's a there's a i'm not trying to be too wordy here but there's a i i don't really know how you escape the system rather than just like detaching yourself completely from it right because mm -hmm. like everything happens within the system but um there's but i mean you can't really truly walk away from it and still have like a life you know yeah yeah that that's exact like that's one of the things that i put so willis Wu's dad right yeah he he worked his way up through the system he was sifu which uh they say multiple times he had a lot of wisdom and uh he 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 was also like really good at kung fu, right? Yeah. So, so once Sifu couldn't uh, do kung fu anymore, he turns into mm -hmm. old Asian man, right? Yeah. And it's sort of like the system used everything it had, everything he had to give, and then left him with nothing. It yeah. Did, it didn't matter who Sifu was at like after Sifu mm -hmm. it meant nothing and that's like something that 
I, I sort of see it like strengthening the system, you know, because you'll give everything for the system, but then the system won't give you anything back. Except like, you know, a role to play, but as long as it, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I agree. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. It's a great point. And I have something, uh, and you see it like, um, you mentioned the dad, but someone who we haven't really mentioned yet, um, was the mother, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You get a little flashback to like what the mother was and, um, yeah. She, uh, like, stopped being, like, the beautiful, young, like, hostess, and she had to develop into this, um, uh, just old Asian lady. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, I think it's very clever to see how, um, uh, they use, uh, they, uh, use this, um, like, the archetypes. And this mm-hmm. and everything. And another one example I wanted to bring up was um, there's a point in the book where Willis Wu starts talking and he's like, you know, he was like in America, he speaks perfect English, but then they go, where's your accent? It's like generic Asian man doesn't yeah. talk like that. They go like, mm-hmm. where's your accent? And he goes, I don't have one. And they're like, that's exactly the problem. And he has to speak in broken English for most of his yeah. role on this cop show. To fit the you know? stereotype. Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to bring up was um, how you think this um, like expands to the idea of, you know, America at large for some people. And how do you think mm-hmm. that... Um, it's like, of course, there's a race component. Yeah. To it, but I don't know. What do, what do you think? I'll stop talking for a second. So, yeah, obviously, there's some sort of discrimination with everything, right? Uh-huh. Like, you know. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be along racial lines, you know? Yeah. Like, I guess, obviously, in the book, you the generic Asian man has to play the role of generic Asian man. Uh-huh. Mm, like he, he can't break out of that role. He won't be given a a star position. And yeah. uh in uh, in other parts of life, like outside of right race, I guess like well, I don't want to make it about myself, right? But with yeah, soccer. All, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Coaches wouldn't directly say, you're too short to play. Yeah. Right? But it was obviously insinuated. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to fit the the uh, so-called, like, leaders' stereotypes. The coaches' yeah. stereotypes. The... Uh, the older brother figure, if you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's a that's a really good point on how you could like apply it like within your own life because a lot of this is like, you know, about race, about everything, but just mm-hmm. taking a step back and seeing how it applies to your own life is 
pretty everybody good. faces some sort of discrimination. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't say discrimination, but like hardships that keep them from doing something, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is like outside expectation of what things are supposed to look like, mm-hmm. like you know? Yep. And uh, just wrapping up prompt number two, I uh, I uh, interviewed my grandfather, uh, Filipino, Chinese, yep. for a prep piece before this. And I was able to get like some of the historical backdrop, right, to, you know, Asian discrimination within the United States. Um but there was a quote, I think it was the at the end of the um, father's story, and I'm just mm-hmm. going to read it. Uh, it says, hard to see the big picture from their vantage point. But they knew that behind them was a historical backdrop, that they were part of a prestigious project with the sweep and scope of a grand American narrative. So they do what it takes Make the best of a small role just to get in. And so it's like everybody, like, you know, you need a seat at the table to survive. But, like, how much mm-hmm. of you are you willing to, like, shed off in order mm-hmm. to fit in there? Yeah, exactly. And so um, I'm going to move on to prompt number three. I'm going to go ahead and read this. I, All right. Starts off with a quote, always known as a Chinaman, never an American. First, read Wu's monologue on pages 244 through 252. On page 246, Wu states that he too is guilty of playing a role, of letting it define him, and of putting himself into a category. He asks, quote, if someone showed you my picture on the street, how would you describe it? You might say an Asian fellow, Asian dude, Asian man. How many of you would say, that's an American? Who gets to be an American? What does an American look like? How do you answer these questions? Form your responses by incorporating themes from the story. Yeah, so I think like one of the things that plays into this is like the screenplay names. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's generic Asian man one, two, and three. There's Kung Fu guy. There's special guest star, Kung Fu dad. And then at the end of the story, he turns into, like, during his monologue, he turns into you, right? Huh. He, he's, not, he's not any of those stereotypes put upon him before. So I think when Turner says on page 96, I'm not a person, I'm a category. That's uh-huh. sort of like I think that can be expanded across this whole like line of questioning about what does an American look like and who gets to be an American. You know what I mean? Mm. When Turner says I'm not a person, I'm a category, it's kind of like we put everybody into categories and sort of stereotype who gets to be in those categories? Mm-hmm. Like, who gets to be an American? Obviously. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, like, obviously, to have a definition of something, right? 
You mm-hmm. need to have some sort of connective tissue. And it's like there needs to be some commonality in what that is. And I think you're right on the money sometimes that like definition can be a little bit too restrictive. Um, yeah. I want to I wanna come back to, um, again, because like this is one of the only like immigrants I know, but he might be the most patriotic person I know, my grandfather. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like a little bit hard of hearing lately. And when he doesn't have his hearing aids in, I guess, I don't know, to his brain to keep him busy, he starts like humming. And sometimes it'll sound like a little bit of like a and you just think it's mm-hmm. a noise. But um, when he's doing that, he's actually humming, uh, God bless America. Sometimes like you only know that because the lyrics come out, but. Mm-hmm. When, when like you kind of find you, when you hear it, you finally hear it and it clicks for you, and you go, "Oh, he's singing God Bless America," and I think there's he's humming that to himself, and I just think you know, in this country, go look on Twitter, go look on Instagram. People will tell you America is going down the crapper. You know, there's not a very optimistic yeah. view of that lately. You would agree. Mm-hmm. But, um, and it's ironic because I was, I was born here and everything, but my grandfather came from China, uh, from the Philippines, war-torn Philippines, World War II, studied to be a surgeon and made a good life for himself in America. And I think... yeah. That's the idea of the American dream. And it's kind of like a paradox that a Filipino comes in. Like, I think he moved over when he was like 18. He's lived the American dream more than someone being there. And so I'm going to round out that lengthy stuff by just going, I think an American is someone who shares that and works toward that common belief of the American dream that you can come here, you can, um, you can be whatever you want, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, uh, being American is like being able to do what you want when you want it and having the freedom to like be yourself. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like, I think we shouldn't have to shape our lifestyles around what other people think so that so that we fit into the societal standard standards. Yeah, yeah. And uh I I just want to uh, before we move on to prompt number 4 cuz I think I think we ha- we both have that pretty well answered. I asked, yeah. uh, I cut I cut it out from the uh, original interview that is posted right now, um, but I asked my grandfather. I'm like, so, like it was supposed it was one of the last questions I asked him was supposed to be like punchy. It's supposed to be like this mm-hmm. is like like the the like big question you would say. So I asked my grandfather, went, hey, Papa. 
what would you say the American dream means to you? And he's like, what? So I repeated it. And he replies, he goes, you know, we don't really dream. We just, we just work, you know? And I think he took it as like, I was thinking it'd be like a literal, he thought I was talking about a literal dream, but he turned it into like this, like, you know what? I don't mean, I turned into like this is alpha thing. It's like, I don't have the American dream. I already did it, you know? I thought that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, uh, I'll read prompt four for us. Yeah. This might be my favorite prompt out of all of them. Yeah, I, I love this one. Should I read the whole thing? Because it's pretty lengthy. I think you should at least read the quote that it has with it on page 65 through 66, I think. All right, so on pages 65 and 50, 66, Wu states, if you, didn't already, if you didn't know it already, now you do. Old dudes from r- rural Taiwan are comfortable with their karaoke, and when they do karaoke, for some reason they love no one like they love John Denver. Maybe it's the dream of the open highway, the romantic myth of the West, a reminder that these funny little Orientals have, been, have actually been Americans longer than you have. Know something about the country that you haven't figured, you haven't yet figured out. Will goes on to say, when he steps up and starts slaying country roads, try not to laugh or wink knowingly or clap a little too hard because by the time he gets to West Virginia Mountain Mama, you're going to be singing along, and by the time he's done, you might understand why a 77-year-old guy from a tiny island in the Taiwan Strait who's been in a foreign country for two-thirds of his life, can nail a song, Note Perfect, about wanting to go home. So the prompt is, where is the most memorable place you have heard the song Country Rose by John Denver? And then this was supposed to be a TikTok describing the most memorable place. And then discuss your thoughts about the Country Roads passage. How does the song make you feel about home, and how do you identify with the song? How does Wu's description of the person singing the song in the novel influence your feelings towards the song and your home? So, can I discuss this one first? Yeah, go ahead. So, I'm going to start with the most memorable time I've had it being played. And I think you'll probably say the same. Okay, So we're probably thinking the same thing. Yeah. So, for our senior prank i guess uh-huh we we all went up and stayed in the uh in our parking lot until like i don't know probably about five minutes until school started yeah and while we were walking down this hill to our school we played country roads and uh with every class there's gonna be drama and all this stuff yeah but while we were walking down, it almost felt like everybody was together. There was no problems between anybody. And, like, we were just one unit together. I absolutely agree, yeah. Yeah, um... Yeah, I mean, even, um... So, for those of you not familiar, Central... 
our old high school had some students come down from Washington, Pennsylvania, right? And uh, even they were, like, chiming in with it, you know? And I don't know what it is, something about that song. Um, just, like, the melody or, like, just, like, you know, we were on, like, the precipice of, like, something yeah. ending, you know? Because that was our last day of school, of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt just, like it rounded out the last four years of us being together. I thought it did. And it's, like, you know, if you would put, like... There would be disagreement, like, over, like, almost any other song, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, it's uh, like, let's put on, like, yeah. It's like, let's put on, like, uh, I don't know, Justin Bieber. Let's put on One Direction. No, I think we should put on Miley Cyrus for this. But when that song turned on, nobody was complaining about it. And I've never seen something, like, so singu singularly... Um, Kinda, so universal. Yeah, universally, like, get all those people on board together, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. Um, and uh, just rounding this out, I'd like to, again, I'm going to go back to my grandfather, but it's kind of, it's kind of funny seeing his perspective on things. It's a more, like just through my interviewing of him but i remember i would sit down i was my grandfather and he had a big like i don't know if it was a dvd or a vhs box set right mm -hmm. and he loves that chuck norris show walker texas ranger right yeah absolutely like loves it and could you read um that line again, that little passage again, just to kind of have it fresh in my mind. Which Never part? mind, I got it. He goes, he goes, maybe it's the dream of the open highway, the romantic myth of the West, a reminder that these funny little Orientals have actually been Americans longer than you have. Um, and just, I'm going to take that like first sentence. Maybe it's the dream of the open highway, the romantic myth of the West. And I think, in, especially in the context of this book, a lot of these, like, you know, immigrants came to America expecting, you know, to have, like, a very prosperous life to get rich. But the setting in itself, like the interior Chinatown SRO, the apartment complex, it's a very impoverished place, right? Mm -hmm. All of them are living in it, but when they step up and they sing John Denver, it kind of, like, renews that belief in America. It's like they kind of say, like, I want to believe in this America, and I think it's still possible. And it ties back to the third prompt. It's like, what does an American look like? Who gets to be an American? I think these two things tie in nicely, and... It's sometimes I think to myself, like, you know, I'm, I'll be driving through um, Elm Grove, like, you know, the Arby's Dairy Queen straight. Mm -hmm. And I'll be thinking to myself, like, yuck, West Virginia, man. Ugh, can't wait to get out of here. But 
then I'll be driving to, and I didn't do this on purpose, like, you know, WVU, you know? I remember driving there, yeah. like, you get on that little stretch of highway, and you're just, like, looking at mountains to the side, and that's a situation to where you can just, like, kind of really admire that and kind of believe in that song again. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. And that was that was my piece on something it. Something that... Yep. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give a little bit because... This has gone on pretty long already. So this summer, I went down to one of my friends' like, like cabins down in like, I don't know, maybe the middle of not the middle, like a bit like north of the middle of West Virginia, like in the woods. You know, uh-huh. there's no service out there, and I think like once you get off your phone. And, like, actually realize, like, what's in front of you. It's unbelievable, like, how how nice West Virginia is. It really is. You know? So, mm-hmm. And there was a little stream there. And I think every morning for, like, the three days we were down there, we'd just sit in the stream for, like, an hour, maybe 30 minutes. And we just wouldn't say a word. And it, and it really just like encapsulate like what country roads means, because there's so much beauty in in West Virginia, but we're sort of blinded by it due to like technology and being in like the same spot. Like we've been in Wheeling for the past eighteen years, we we don't really see the beauty in it. But you can just go up to like Ogilby and see like how how beautiful like this state really is yeah i completely agree with you sometimes you just need to you know take a step back you need something like mm-hmm. beauty it's like i love the song country roads even if i wasn't from west virginia i think i'd still love it the same way like yeah you know you appreciate any good song and sometimes whether it's through like song nature or even like a really like just good story you can kind of yeah. You can kind of find that commonality, and so I think that'll wrap yeah. up prompt number four. Um, Esther, do you have any mm-hmm. closing thoughts on the WVU's twenty twenty two twenty three campus read Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu? So, going into this, I don't read a lot. I'll, I'll read a few books each year, but so. About halfway, I would read this by each act, and there's seven acts. You read this quickly. You were done with it before I was. So I'm about halfway through the book. I think it was like act three, and it ends on like a cliffhanger, right? Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I got to know what happens next. You got to. I spend the next three hours reading the rest of this book. Like... And I, I swear, I've never sat down and actually, like, read a book. Like, I don't know. It was, it was like, 170 pages I read that day. And it was really the first time that, like, something's, a book has captured me like that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I think that just goes to say how, how good of a read this book actually is. Yeah, well, 
this is coming from someone I don't read well, Nestor might say I read a lot, but I don't read like, you know, a book a day like some people. But I read a, a fair bit, but mm-hmm. this by far might be like the most unique read yeah. I have ever read. That makes sense. It's it was very no, just not yeah. just not just in the way it was structured, but you could have written this any other way and it wouldn't be the same but just the blending of like the you know the hollywood archetypes contrasted by like you know the poor like downtrodden Mm -hmm. like impoverished chinatown i thought that was that was very interesting and and it's like with any book you're gonna have like a disagreement on some messages and some themes but like the main core message of it was just like I I thought that was a pretty powerful thing. Well, Let's see. That wraps it up for this uh segment of book club. Yeah. If you have any feedback, just let us know. Our Instagram DMs are always open, Twitter. Uh you can even respond on Spotify if you'd like. Yeah. But thank you for listening and have a good day. Yeah.